Hello everyone, welcome to Coffee Break Feminism. I'm your host, Britt Alexandria, and I will be your headmistress as we explore topics and ideas related to women's studies, feminism, and, well, otherwise. Let's get started. So thank you for the warm welcome to the world of podcasting. It's really made me feel good to know that you guys enjoy the podcast. So we are only a week away from my favorite holiday of the year, the time of bats, pumpkins, and my favorite, witches. Now, rewind with me, if you will, all the way back to the Middle Ages. The Catholic Church is at the height of its power, and medicine at the time was incredibly poor. You wouldn't go to a hospital because, generally, a hospital was the place you go to die. They were set up through the church, and we had no idea what germs were, or how disease spread, or how infection worked. So, if you were sick, where did you go? Usually to the local witch or healer. Magic and medicine often coincided. Medicine was intertwined with the priesthood, but what if you had a disease that you didn't want the church to know about? What if you were pregnant? What if you didn't want to be? What if you had mental health issues? Certain issues like childbirth were always in the hands of women. Men were forbidden to be involved in the birthing process, even the father of the child. These women often held a lot of power because they were women who people, no matter the class or status, turned to when they were desperate. Women were a vital part of life in the Middle Ages, and not just for the obvious reason of procreation. Anne Llewellyn Barstow states in her book Witch Craze that, quote, almost all rural women kept gardens, cared for domestic animals, preserved food, chopped and carried wood, transported water, cared for and educated children, nursed sick family members, and prepared the dead for burial. Beyond satisfying these universal expectations, they might also augment family income by serving as brewers, fortune tellers, healers, midwives, pharmacists, milliners, seamstresses, wet nurses, weavers, end quote. Whew, I'm tired just listing all of this off, and I cut out some for the sake of time. Okay, that was a lot of information, so what does this all have to do with witches? Witches tended to be women who either held more power than the people around them thought they should, or they were people with no power at all. Many accused women were isolated from family and friends. Elspeth Thompson, in medieval Scotland, was accused of witchcraft after basically being a loud, foul-mouthed woman. She had no family of her own, accused by her in-laws without support from her husband, and she was probably disliked with own within her own community. She was eventually condemned as a witch and hanged. Anna Katharina spoke about consorting with witches and was ostracized from whole villages because of fear of her evil power. No one wanted her. Schools refused her, priests refused her, and her family refused her. We don't know what became of her. In the last episode, I talked about layers of oppression. Many witches exhibit an idea that I think of as a, as, well, layers of violence. One such woman, Nicolay, was raped and impregnated by a man who gave her plague cures and remedies after he was done with her. 
she started gaining the reputation as a witch because she was able to heal so many. When a nobleman's wife got sick, Nicolay knew that if she refused, she would be blamed for her death, while using her cures would prove to the mag magistrates that she was a witch. Her son told them that she was able to heal the woman, in fact, turning on his own mother, and the townspeople then beat her until she agreed. After she cured the noblewoman's wife, sorry, nobleman's wife, she and her son were burned at the stake. Women were often strip-searched for the devil's mark on them. These were public events when groups of women were searched, fondled, and stuck with pins until they confessed. Most of the women, in such conservative societies, were so traumatized by the experience that they often grew numb and couldn't feel the pins, which was then used to prove that they were witches. And now, a little closer to home, in the winter of 1691 to 1692, in Salem, Massachusetts, girls in Reverend Samuel Paris's household started behaving strangely. We aren't given a lot of context as to what that means, but it's pretty clear that they were just behaving differently from how women were supposed to behave. And that kind of explains a lot of times when women are claimed to be going crazy, or hysterical is the more popular term. Um, but it's usually when women stop acting like men want them to. So, when these two girls were questioned, the blame was put on Sarah Good, a beggar, Sarah Osborne, an unpopular widow, and Tatuba Indian, a slave from Barbados owned by the Reverend Paris. Good diverted the blame, even though her husband said it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities. Kind of sounds like they had some marriage issues. Osborne denied it, but said that she had a dream about a black spirit that dragged her by her hair. Tatuba said that she was forced into Satan's forces by the other two and other witches in Salem. The story was sprinkled with tales of broomsticks and beasts and a book of signatures with Osborne and Good's signature on the page. The devil was described as a man with white hair and black clothes, not unlike her master. From there, the town of Salem would become famous for its witchy lore and legends. So, is there any truth to what Lois Banner calls, quote, the greatest explosion of patriarchal power in the European experience, end quote? Well, depending on who you ask, some blame the very women who were its victims. Alan McFarlane claimed, quote, There is no evidence that hostility between the sexes lay behind their persecutions. End quote. Eric Middlefort said, quote, Women seem to provoke somehow an intense misogyny at times. End quote. And, quote, Why that group, women, attracted to itself the scapegoating mechanism? End quote. Basically, some historians believe that women brought this on themselves, that they were the problem, that they drew too much attention. Does this sound familiar? Okay, so here's the real reasons. Many accused witches often confess to avoid being tortured or killed. In many ways, the idea of witchcraft scared men because the coven was a place where women gathered without them. There were mysterious 
these meetings were mysterious because they were secret. They were forbidden. And isn't it just so human to want to go where you're not allowed to go? Another reason. So think to yourself. Stress and fear. You can feel it in your body. It's part of you. Being afraid makes you physically sick. If you are afraid for long enough, you might think you're cursed. And if you're in the societies that many of these women are, well, you might tend to blame the most vulnerable or the people that you already don't like. In 1486, the Malleus Maleficarum claimed that witchcraft comes from carnal lust, the idea that somehow, through the pleasure of sex, that the devil can enter into you, and that women were the most vulnerable to this. And, in a way, this odd, perverted book is sort of right. We've all seen the typical image of a witch. The pointy hats, the black clothes, riding on a broom into the night sky. Well, there are many cases of witches that the broom was actually, well, the first dildo. Well, I wouldn't say the first, but the broom handles were often used, well, not often. They were used as evidence that women were witches because they were pleasuring themselves with the handles of a broom. In 1324, the first Irish witch, Lady Alice Kyteller, was found with supposed magic ointment in her closet, along with brooms. And ever since I found out that fact, I have not been able to look at Halloween decorations in quite the same way. Kristen J. Soleil, in her book Witches, Sluts, Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive, explores the ties between witchcraft and sexuality. She says that, quote, just as women who defied the sexual status quo were once persecuted as witches, sex workers are persecuted for using their bodies to survive and even thrive in a culture that still has not granted complete bodily autonomy to women. Okay, okay. Why am I giving you this huge history lesson? Well, whether it be Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Wizard of Oz, The Blair Witch Project, The Craft, Hocus Pocus, Halloween Town, and so much more, witches have become a favorite image and icon in popular culture. Because witches represent some of the ultimate goals and views of women. The idea that a woman is tested through fire but rises above it. The witch represents power and persecution. Many witches were tortured, subjected to pain and humiliation. And for what? Because power scares people. But women with power scares people even more. Not only that, the witch uses the very things that men in power use to oppress them and turn them around into their own sources of power. Spells, when you boil them down, are a woman's voice with the right words. And then she adds things she found in the kitchen or in the forest to bring about change and autonomy. She is a wise woman in eras where women had no representation, no education, and she serves the community in ways when jobs were limited. Being a witch is about fighting back. 
To me, I've always been attracted to the practicality of it. If you do this spell, this mantra, this physical thing, that it will change something. In October 1968, a group of socialist feminists called WITCH, or the Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell, created theatrical political campaigns. They protested Wall Street, the inauguration of Richard Nixon, and the sexist stereotyping at bridal fairs, all while dressed up in shift dresses and pointy hats. In 2016 and 2017, the call went out after Donald Trump was elected for witches to cast binding spells and rituals to limit his power. I can't hope but I can't help but hope when I hear those stories. Apparently, the same call went out with Brett Kavanaugh. Despite the criticism, to use Soleil's words, quote, the witches at once female divinity, female ferocity, and female transgression. She is all and she is one. The witch has as many moods and as many faces as the moon. End quote. This has been Coffee Break Feminism. If you like what you heard, leave a review, tell your friends, and subscribe. You can also follow me on Twitter at CBFeminism and on Instagram at Coffee Break Feminism. Have something you want me to talk about on the show? Email me at coffeebreakfeminism at gmail.com. Coffee Break Feminism is a bi-weekly podcast, so I will see you in two weeks. Take care, my peeps. Bye.